Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Love Talk Radio.
Love Talk Radio. This is Blog Talk Radio, Keys 107, and you're on live now with Respect for Life with your host, Brother Leroy. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, the first-class citizens of the world, thank you very much for tuning in to the Keys 107 Network, which is housed on blogtalkradio.com. I'm Brother Leroy. And I'm thankful to the Most High for blessing us with another day on, on this good earth, another day to do some good deeds for ourselves and our families and for others to make our community, our family, 
and the world a better place. You can do a good deed by sharing information that you get from this program. Fortunately, the program is archived, which means that at any time after the show tonight, you can go back in, listen to it, or you can advise friends and relatives to listen to it. We're dealing with what are called psychotropic drugs, drugs that are prescribed for depression and other ailments that, uh, well, that they prescribe drugs for. But what we're doing tonight is going into the side effects. And we've reached out to a noted psychiatrist, someone who is more than a psychiatrist but a community person. I'm not going to say a community organizer, but you will find him relating to community issues going back to the 60s and quite possibly beyond that. His name is Dr. Peter Bragan, and we are happy to have him with us this evening. Are you on the line, Dr. Peter? I don't know whether we have him there yet. Okay, well, we're reaching out for him. Now, this interview was set up before the incident in Connecticut. And uh, it just happens that way that we had reached out to him to review the so-called side effects of psychotropic drugs, which is murder and suicide, aggression, and then possible remorse and the killing of oneself. So a lot of these issues that we have seen, and I'm not necessarily talking about the Connecticut shooting. We're going to have to get that from an expert like Dr. Peter Bregman in a few minutes or a few seconds. It is for a perspective that we all should have and know because the side effects of these drugs is not necessarily discussed with patients as uh, they are prescribed. And in many cases, our community is targeted and has been targeted for Ritalin which has spread into the suburban areas, and now you have thousands and thousands of young children, black, white, uh, Latinos, or Spanish-speaking, et cetera, who have been designated as as um, overactive, uh, tension deficit disorder, and the, the, the psychiatric industry is producing ailments every month almost, every year definitely, that uh, drugs are conveniently prescribed for. So we'll be getting into some of those things. In other words, there is no family that is listening in on this program that doesn't have knowledge of or, or have someone in their family or in their neighborhood or in their building or in their, uh, you know, uh, past or present who hasn't been exposed to some of these uh, entry drugs such as Ritalin. Do we have Dr. Peter Bregan yet? Okay. We yes, don't have him yet. yes, sir. Yes, sir, Brother Leroy. He's right okay. on the line with you right now. Excellent. Dr. Peter Bregan, thank you for joining us. I did a little in- intro, and um, I want to thank you very much for joining us this evening on the Keys 107 Network, Respectful Life. Dr. Peter Bragan, in, in terms of discuss, discussing the side effects, which you you say you don't call them side effects, you just say this is what the drugs do, uh, just give us a brief background as to how 
you became sensitive to these drugs to the point where you warned people and you talked about these effects that many other psychiatrists are reluctant to discuss in public. What has led you to the point where you're an advocate for information of this sort being shared with the public? Well, I know I um, I recognize just early on in my training as a psychiatrist, <clears throat> excuse me, that uh, drugs really aren't the answer to anybody's problems. I'm no more than alcohol or marijuana or any other drug. That um, all they can do is uh, subdue the brain in one way or another. So some people can get temporary relief from that, from anxiety, let's say from taking a tranquilizer, but the brain fights back and you get a more anxious person. Or you might um, be able to subdue the behavior of a child in school with with a stimulant drug like Ritalin or Adderall or Concerta, uh, Stratera, but the brain fights back and you have a more disturbed, upset, and angry child in the long run. And that this is basically true with all of the drugs. They impair brain function and that sometimes looks better for a while if the patient is a bit anesthetized or blunted or if the patient's less active. <clears throat> but then as I looked more into it, it became apparent to me that these drugs are producing a great deal of harm beyond that. And one of the issues now that's come up again is I began to realize from my research um, and, my, you know, and it's published in my books and articles and on my website, um, that these drugs, many drugs, cause violence and suicide. And I was a medical expert um, in a, many, many uh, lawsuits brought against Eli Lilly for murder and suicide. Um, they manufacture Prozac, and these suits were about uh, Prozac causing murder and suicide. And um, also I was an expert in a cases that never went to trial in Columbine. So I got to learn something more than most people do about what happened with um, Eric Harris um, and Dylan Klebold at uh, at Columbine. <clears throat> and then most more recently, um, several months ago, I was in a case in Canada where a judge actually came out and said that a 16-year-old had been driven to murder because of Prozac. That was a case that I, where he went with my testimony rather than the local uh, uh, prestigious psychiatrist. So this, this comes up again now that we're looking at this dreadful situation in Newtown. I mean, the one good thing that's come out of it is that for the very first time, um, Brother Leroy, in my experience, the talking heads on television... Yeah. are actually bringing up the fact that that uh, we need to know what drugs, if any, he was on because drugs, psychiatric drugs can cause violence. Today at around 5.25, I couldn't believe it, Sanjay Gupta on CNN talked right. about Prozac causing violence. And a few days mm -hmm. earlier, Tom, um, oh gosh, I'm blocking on his, head, on his name, the former head of... Um, uh, Homeland Security uh, came out and said the same thing, uh, talking on the Fox News channel. So mm. uh, we're actually hearing people now on the air talking about things for which uh, 
I caught a great deal of uh, grief for saying many, many years ago. So psychiatric mm. drugs are not a good solution for people. <clears throat> Dr. Peter Bragan, I want you to, to, to just go back and explain what the drug does as, as simply as you can. I know you've had experience in this, and that, that you said it subdues the brain and then the brain fights back. What do you what do you mean by that? What happens to the brain, the subduing, and then it's fighting back? And then behind that, then behind that, if there are folks who say that before before they before, patients who before they are administered any drug say that they're hearing voices in their head going to what the alternative is then <clears throat> to a, a a drug being administered. All right, well that's a few questions and let me let me focus since you brought up uh, hearing voices on the um antipsychotic drugs. We have a group of drugs that are called antipsychotic drugs, but they are not really antipsychotic drugs. Um that includes the old drug Thorazine that people heard a lot about, Haldol and Nowadays, uh, a lot of our kids are getting these new drugs, which is really dreadful. Risperdal, Zyprexa, Seroquel, Vega, um, Abilify. <clears throat> All of these drugs block a neurotransmitter. That is mm. one of the key chemicals in the brain that sends messages around the brain. And that's, it's called dopamine. And dopamine is, is a major major, probably the major pathway to the frontal lobes. So if you are blocking dopamine, the major nerve pathway to the frontal lobes, in an, in a, in an animal or a child or a human being, you're going to inevitably, with certainty, you're going to suppress frontal lobe function. Now what do the frontal lobes do? They do everything that has to do with being a human being. They're the great big part of the brain that's in the front that differentiates us from the great apes. They don't have much of a frontal lobe. Your your dog or your cat has very small ones. Um, the human being has these huge frontal lobes that evolved basically as a part of our evolution as very social beings. So the frontal lobes are required for judgment, for impulse control, for love, for relationship, for getting along. They're all about us. We couldn't be religious without them. We couldn't be passionate about anything without our frontal lobes. We also They're also important for things like abstract reasoning. Um, all the higher human functions. Now, <clears throat> when you crush that function in a person who's who's so disturbed that they're hearing and seeing things that aren't there, that they're really, really disturbed and they're hearing and seeing things, maybe hearing voices. Often the voices will be saying mean or cruel things to them. Um, if you give them the drug, well, they're going to be less involved with or caring about everything that goes on inside their their thoughts and feelings. So they're going to be more apathetic about the voices and complain about them less. But they're not going to go away uh, because mm. there's no way to pluck one little thing out of the brain, one 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 kind of thought or feeling out of the brain. So 
doctors really unscrupulously have gone about saying that these drugs are antipsychotic. <clears throat> but in fact, if you give them to a lion and give them in sufficient doses, the lion will become so apathetic it can go over and pet it. Mm. Um, I, uh, I once, by mistake, uh, gave a, uh, a prescription for what turned out to be the same class of drug to my dog who um, uh, was getting car sick. Well, these drugs are also used to suppress vomiting. They just just because dopamine happens to be involved in the vomiting center. And my dog, who was a very independent customer, would just never do it, what you wanted him to do immediately. Like, he not only didn't vomit in the car, he hopped into the car when told to. <laughs> and then I realized, my dog has changed. And I, I looked on the bottle, and, and lo and behold, he'd been given the equivalent of a small dose, tiny dose of an antipsychotic drug. Now, when dopamine is blocked, and this gets to that question you were you were asking, Brother Leroy, about what do I mean the brain fights back? <clears throat> when the dopamine uh, transmitters are shut down by the drug, the brain fights back by increasing the power, the sensitivity, mm. the mm. number of the receptors that are receiving the dopamine. The brain's in effect saying, I'm not getting my dopamine, I'm not getting my dopamine. So these dopamines attach to um, to glove-like chemicals, you know, that hold them, and so they get more and more of those. They, get, they grow in size and sensitivity in response to the fact they're not getting enough. It's like, it's like a whole bunch of new mouths going, gimme, gimme, gimme. Mm. And that results in brain injury itself. And mm. that causes a lot of problems from mental problems to abnormal movements um, in people who take these drugs. Uh, so that's, that, that's one of the ways it happens. But also the drugs are just plain toxic to the brain. They poison brain cells. And we, we now have studies showing that um, these drugs uh, are actually, this is really sad to even bring up and talk about, but they're shrinking shrinking the brain, parts of the brain, when that people take drugs, them for months or years. The drugs are gradually shrinking the brain over the course of their use. Yeah, that's right. I've, okay, now. I've reviewed this. Uh, let me just say, let me, let me yes, just put a ca yes. uh, warning in here. It's not safe to stop the drugs either because the brain has changed. And if you immediately stop any psychiatric drug you, without going slowly and getting some good, good experience supervision, if you stop any psychiatric drug abruptly, it can just flip you, flip you out even worse than ever in mm. a severe withdrawal reaction because the brain's been changed in response to the drug and now the drug is gone. Not unlike the DTs from alcohol, when you stop uh, drinking, you know, you can get extremely agitated and go into a very bad condition. Um, in regard to the various psychiatric drugs, though, you can get depressed, you can get anxious, you can get mad, you get all kinds of things during withdrawal. And that's why I've, I've written the, the new book, Psychiatric Drug Withdrawal. The, the first half of it talks about the dangers of being on the drugs but the second half of psychiatric drug withdrawal talks about the dangers of coming off the drugs and how to do it safely. Mm. Now, <clears throat> go, go go with us. Take us into... Here is a 
a product. A drug is produced that has the effect, not the side effect, but the effect of aggression, murder, and then suicide. Is the, is, is, is the suicide remorse? That's part of the question. But the entire question is, how can, how can you produce something that has the effect of aggression slash murder and suicide? Is that an intent? Is that a, a side effect? How, how does that happen? Well, it's, I don't think it's ever an intention to do that because the drug companies end up getting sued. But exactly. a couple of a couple of things happen. One, they don't look for this when they're testing the drug. First of all, most psychiatric drugs are only tested for 6, 8, 10, 12 weeks. They're mm. not tested long term. Secondly, mm. they're not tested on people who are suicidal or violent. So if anyway. you've got a problem in that area, they're not being tested on that. So, for example, antidepressants, which are given all the time for patients who are suicidal are never tested on suicidal patients because drug no, companies no, don't oh, take oh, that okay. risk. Oh, okay. Uh, in, in terms of the testing pool, <clears throat> the pool of individuals who are tested, they, they, of course they're not going to give it to those people anyway. Well, they're going to avoid it even though they know those people are going to get the drug in the real world. Hmm. But it gets worse than that, Brother Leroy. It really gets worse than that. What I've learned from looking inside the drug companies as a medical expert and from other experience is as soon as the drug companies tend to get a hint that something like that is happening, many of them will hide it. So Eli Lilly, when they found out Prozac was causing suicide, mm. um, they hid their data. I found it mm. later and made it public, but they hid their data. That's the same thing that happened with the cigarette industry. Oh, yes. They hid the not information. Different. Yes, it's not different at all. The same thing. Okay, now, tell us this as best you can. What is the element or the the process in the brain that is affected by the drug that causes aggression and then, and then accompanied many times by suicide? <clears throat> The um, A lot of the processes we don't understand very well. Um, I think in the case of the antidepressants, <clears throat> it um, has to do with the fact that the, uh, what I was talking to you about, that the antidepressant um, is doing one thing, but the... Um, um, the brain is trying to do another. So you get a very okay. unstable condition. And mm. quite often people experience that unstable position as being um, very agitated, very anxious, losing control of their impulses, not being able to control their emotions, and they lose it. That is, that is one of the things that we see happening with people. Other mm -hmm. people just obsessively get suicidal. Other people develop a, a condition um, 
of psychomotor agitation that makes them feel crazy and makes them lose lose control. So it's um, it's a variety of different things that happen. We don't have a um, a really complete um, uh, understanding of the process, but but basically we often just see people get very obsessively violent toward themselves or others or extremely agitated along with it. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes people get psychotic. I've seen people on the antidepressants who have uh, uh, who have flipped out of reality and um in medication madness uh, i i describe a, a man who decided his wife was an alien mm. um while he was taking an antidepressant he became completely crazy then he decided he was an alien and he decided his job was to kill her to prevent mm. her from destroying the world i mean just totally crazy but mm. that's not the most common way it shows up mm. Well, let's pause uh, for a second, Dr. Peter Bregan. We'll give the audience an opportunity to call in <clears throat> with any questions, concerns. We only have a few uh, minutes with you on this first interview. Ladies and gentlemen, our guest online is psychiatrist Dr. Peter Bregan, and he has a website, and you heard him mention his book, Psychiatric Drug Withdrawal. It is a book in light of how widespread the use of drugs are prescribed drugs are within the American community, this is a book that you should consider as a reference book in your home, as a dictionary is a reference book. This is a book that you would have in your home. You never know when you might need it, even if it's to uh, get an understanding on current events. This is Blog Talk Radio. And the network is the Keys 107. I'm your host, Brother Leroy, and the program is Respect for Life, and we'll be white black after these messages. But let me give you the telephone number to call in on, and that is 213. Remember, 213 9433618. 213-943-3618. And tap number one on your keypad that lets us know that you have a question. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Keys on Blog Talk Radio. Why I'm eating out of dumpsters 
and I'm living without my family is because I lost my keys. Listen to Keys 107 on Blog Talk Radio. Aw, cats. Jump back and dust off your Cadillac. You're listening to Respect for Life with your host, Brother Leroy, on the Keys Network. Blog Talk Radio, baby. Act like you already knew. Ow! Okay, we're black, ladies and gentlemen. This is Respect for Life on the Keys 107 Network. I'm Brother Leroy, and our guest online is Dr. Peter Bregan. We're talking about murder-slash-suicide, the effects of psychotropic drugs, and uh, we missed the opportunity of, of defining psychotic. I don't want to lose myself or any of our audience. What does it mean psychotic? When a person is psychotic, what does that designation mean? Um, psychotic uh, <clears throat> refers mostly to a complete loss of touch with reality. Let me see. Are you there? Do I have you? Uh, yeah, Wait, you I have me. It you on the speakerphone. Yeah. Okay, now I'm on better. I'm sorry. Okay. I, right, I uh, caused a problem okay. with my technology. Um, All right. Psychotic cool. means... Uh, in the most general way, a loss of touch with reality, where a person is thinking things and <clears throat> having feelings that seem to have no relationship to anything real. The person may uh, think that uh, that they've committed a murder that they haven't, or the person may think that they're the center of the CIA plot and they're not. Oh. Um, and they're often it's often uh, accompanied by specific things where the person's actually has an elaborate thought process about something they're involved in that they're that's not real, or they're very often hearing voices. Um, now, even hearing voices might not mean you're psychotic. I mean, people hear voices for religious reasons. They hear voices spiritually. And an awful lot of people walk around with voices going on in their heads and function fine. So then it becomes a question of, if you're psychotic if it's really impairing your life, not just something you're experiencing. And it can happen for, for reasons we don't understand. It can happen from um, really tough childhood. It can happen from terrible stress and trauma. And it can be caused by a lot of chemicals, so psychiatric drugs, as well as a, a lot of different kinds of street drugs. Or, or uh, pollution in in the environment. Well, you know, I don't know that we've been able to show that the ordinary kind of, <clears throat> say, pollution around a city and from cars and so on would would cause this. But if you're working on a farm, you know, the insecticides might get to you if you had some okay. sort of a really right. heavy concentration of a toxin. Okay. All right, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you have the chance to uh, ask a question, 213-943-3618, 213-943-3618, tap number one on your keypad that indicates that you have a question or observation that you would like to have explored. Now, the suicide part, um, I look at the aggression 
you know, the murder aggressions being one thing, the, the person is, is whatever the drug does, the person is aggressive, then after they, they kill a person or persons, uh, are we looking at remorse coming over them and then they kill themselves or they run out of people to kill so they kill themselves? You know, that's a really good question. <clears throat> and one of the problems we face is since they kill themselves, we don't have a lot of people to talk to about it. Right. But um, I think that the just from my work as a, as a psychiatrist and just living, I think it probably comes from all the things you're mentioning. Um, I think with the violent perpetrators who kill a lot of people, um, they don't want to face the consequences. Mm. Most of the murderers, really all the school murderers, are very withdrawn, fearful kinds of people who then burst out. None of them are generally brave, effective, accomplished people. They're often very intelligent, but boy, they are not functioning well, and they're often living in a lot of withdrawal and shame and isolation. And I think those folks, they don't want to deal with what they've done. They don't want the social contact. They don't want to be um, mm. having to explain themselves or be under, under scrutiny. Um, I think that's one part of it. Another part of it is that violence, and I think you're suggesting this, violence has this quality that it can be directed at self and others at the same time, so they, they may be rageful at themselves for one reason or another, right. maybe right. feeling like failures. Remorse, yeah. I, I doubt much if it's remorse, because uh, you think about the kind of... Um, incredible state somebody gets into where they're going to perpetrate that kind of violence, I think they're totally into that violence at that moment. I doubt right. if one minute later they're going to have remorse. In the, in the right. case of, um, of Newtown, the, 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 the conjecture, the guessing is that he heard the sirens coming mm. and decided that he didn't want to get shot. Uh, by mm. somebody else, he wanted to just do himself in, or didn't want to face a uh, face being treated like this horrible criminal. So, mm. I think just a lot of different reasons. I think if a person uh, beats up and ends up injuring or harming, say a loved one, then, then maybe afterward, that's remorse. You know, right? And and remorse. Correct me if I'm off on this. Remorse is actually a, a weakening of a, a um, my words, a weak side energy. In other, <clears throat> in other words, <clears throat> after aggression and feeling remorse, that, that's an energy going in the opposite direction. Well, that that's interesting. I think it's a kind of a metaphor. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of it more in the traditional sense of morality that a person realizes they've done wrong and wish they oh, hadn't done okay. it. Oh, okay. All right, um, okay. Uh, not so much guilt. Guilt is like self-punishment. You beat the heck out of yourself. You call yourself names, okay. but you don't necessarily yeah. regret what you did. <laughs> okay, all right. Remorse okay. to guilt. me is a genuine remorse. Guilt and remorse regret. is two different things. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think uh, by definition of the way I think about remorse is genuine regret. Whereas people feel guilty over nothing. I mean, I have 
you know, I work with people who feel guilty, um, you know, over being three minutes late for a session. Um, and, <laughs> and then you got you have to consult them over that <laughs> guilt before you can get to the reason why they had an appointment in the first place. <laughs> well, that's, that's right. It's all tied together. That's really interesting. Uh, Doc, um, let's shift the moment to <clears throat> ailments where you would, where you're confronted with a person that's on a drug, um, maybe administered by someone else, whatever the situation is, and we're talking about withdrawal, as in your book, Psychiatric Drug Withdrawal, um, what happens in a case like that, and what happens when a person is brought to you or they come, you know, on their own, and they have a psychiatric problem, and the protocol that they would like to pursue, based on the fact that you have this reputation, is one of no drugs. You know, what happens in some of those cases? Well, I believe in general, Brother Leroy, that people need support, emotional, caring support and guidance from other human beings. I think what our children need who are in such distress, both in the suburbs, the inner cities, and the rural areas, is you know, better family connection, better school connections, better social support. And that that's really fundamentally what all of us need. <clears throat> so if somebody comes to me who is, say, um, by generally definition, is psychotic. Let's say they're a 16-year-old or a 30-year-old and they're hearing voices and they're all terrified and they're kind of curled up in the corner of a chair and frightened. I will do my best to relate to them, to make them feel safe, to offer them a safe place, to tell them I'm, that I don't lock up people, which is another way I'm different than other psychiatrists, that I don't drug people, that I just want to keep you company and spend some time with you and see if I can help, that I can see you're scared, and I certainly don't want to scare you. And if you talk kindly and warmly and respectfully, God, respect is so important, respectfully to this really scared, upset person, you can see them begin to feel better in minutes, literally in minutes. They start to trust you a little bit, and you can actually end up, say, talking for 20 or 30 minutes and then saying, you know, I notice you're not listening for the voices right now. Have they gone away for a while? And the person say, yeah, they did. Why is that? And I'll say, well, it's because we're talking together. And mm-hmm. the opposite of going off into this scary world is to be with somebody. And I just want mm-hmm. to help you learn to be with your family again or be with your husband or wife or, you know, and be with people again and not be so frightened. So it's with the most disturbed people, it's the simplest and often the most effective because it's what what it's all about you know it's it's what it's all about and and it's such a shame that our children in this country are getting less and less of us less and less of our family life and in school the ones who are really wounded and not getting the attention they need 
they're allowed to sort of be anonymous, you know. They're allowed to walk through school without being seen. So I think that's where the basic issues are. And uh, Mm -hmm. I think it's a human truth. (laughs) Hmm. Give us some things that in the past were happening in the home and within family that we may have gotten away from that we could very well implement that maintain the stability of the mind of young family members or even the mature father and mother in the family, the teenagers, etc. What are some things that you would recommend to our audience that they should be about that can lead to more mental harmony overall? Well, that's a that's a big question. I'm actually going to do my radio show on that subject tomorrow at 4 p.m. on Progressive Radio Network. Go to Progressive Radio Network. Uh, Gary Knowles. Gary that's Knowles Gary Network. Knowles Network, yeah. And I'm going to be talking with a friend of mine who is, um, uh, works with families, and we're going to talk for an hour about just that subject. Um I mean, <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of how to encapsulate it. I mean, you know, children really, really need us. <clears throat> and young parents and old parents need to accept that there's simply no way around how much our kids need us. And when our kids are one or two years old, their brains are growing a mile a minute, just sprouting new twigs here and there, just growing like springtime um, in upstate New York where I live. And their brains are growing in response to two or three caregivers, to whoever is intimate in their life in those first two years is literally shaping their brain because Mm. that's what the brain does. It isn't if you think about it, we're not born with speech, we're not born with religion, we're not born rooting for the Yankees, we're not born with hardly anything, and within a year, we're going to be little social beings. And um, and in fact, it starts pretty early. Well, that develops in response to the social environment, because if you don't nurture a child, it'll, it'll literally die. It won't learn, won't grow, it'll die if you don't nurture it. So... Parents need to see this importance that when they have that you know when they have a child, that child has to become the center of some adult's life. Mm. And I think you know more parents should be reading parenting books. More parents should be seeking guidance from churches and parenting. They should take parenting courses, many of which are free. But above all else, we really have to cherish our children and realize that uh, they're not just biological, they're made of us. You know, they're really made of us. Mm. Mm. Okay, telephone number 213-943-3618. You'll be on the air with Dr. Peter Reagan. We're discussing the effects of psychotropic drugs and um, the, the, the discussion is as broad as you 
others in the rest of this classroom. I like to refer to the programs that we do as classrooms. It's an opportunity to get a better understanding of things going on in and around us. Uh, going back, I think that I heard you say in terms of the voices, my question relating to hearing voices, that you said that some some situations may be may relate to religion. Did I hear that correctly? Yes, that's right. Sure. And and, and expand on that for us. And well, and, and you know, mm-hmm. flesh that one out for us. <laughs> well, in in many religions, hearing voices, hearing the voice of God is a part of the experience of the religion. And it's clear that people can open themselves to that experience without being mentally disturbed in a lot of other ways. Um, they can be functioning fine. Um, you know, uh, also, many people hear voices rather routinely talking to them in the background that seem outside their head. And we're talking about voices that seem outside the head. And they're functioning fine. Um, They're carrying out businesses and jobs and loving and working and so on. So just hearing voices by itself doesn't tell us a lot. And people who have been just traumatized, anything that sort of shakes us up can lead us into that kind of blurring of the edges of what we would call reality. And certainly people who go through trauma and get post-traumatic stress, uh, they can... um, uh, they can they can hear voices too, and a lot of creative people. You read the story lives of poets, and, and they have a lot of alternative experiences that my colleagues in psychiatry would would think were were, were mentally ill or psychotic. They're just human experiences. Hmm. Um, dyslexia. Have they gone? <clears throat> to the extent of prescribing drugs for that? Well, they end up doing it. There's no drug that's approved for that. Dyslexia, of course, is difficulty reading. Um, The whole thing, and it's one of the learning disorders or learning disabilities, LD. Um, The thing about that is it's really really fake. I mean, I hate to just say it flat, but it's fake. All the definition is, if you look at the the actual definition in the diagnostic manual, all it means is that the child is not performing up to either the level of IQ or the level of class. So it really means you're just behind, either behind yourself or behind your classmates. That doesn't tell us anything. We knew that at the beginning. And yet out of that comes this vast, a machinery for psychologists and educators earning a living by claiming it's a disorder and they have special treatments for it when the very best treatment for dyslexia is a good tutor in reading. And what Mm. is the key to being a good tutor in reading? It's exactly what I was describing about being a good therapist. It's making a relationship with the child so that the child gets a little more confident, feels more able to take on the task, doesn't feel abused or humiliated by the tutor. So, again, I keep coming back to these basic social kinds of values and spiritual values of love, caring, relationship. 
And, and that's what our kids need. It's what all of us need. Um, I, you know, these kids that are called dyslexic, their uh, their education went wrong somewhere, and they need mm-hmm. they need to get someone to be patient and kind with them, to teach them to read as best they can. Okay, let's go back over the drugs. Uh, we may have a caller on the line. Uh, <clears throat> in here, do we have a caller? Yes, yes. Um, okay. thank, thank you for taking. Yes, uh, thank you for taking my call. And I, I'd like to ask the doctor, uh, if you would, Brother Leroy, um, what is this concept of normalcy, and why is it that I guess in Western culture is so, such a, a, a highly attainable thing? Well, that's a Doc, you got that's that? a loaded power. Question, and it's a very interesting one. And you know, Brother Leroy, you're you, you're pretty you are sophisticated about these things, and you may know about this. But a lot of the concepts of normalcy come out of racism and classism. Mm. Um, the early concepts about IQ and testing were really driven. A lot of it, not all of it, but a lot of it, by trying to show that the um, that the that the upper class British or the upper class German was better than either poor people or dark skinned people in the colonies, mm. and there was a lot of so called anthropology that went into these attempts to try to, to use the concept of, of normalcy. And it's mm. even been used in more recent times in this country um, when there was an attempt to um, to say we should cut off social services to the African-American community because African-Americans were biologically less intelligent. And they would come up with, um, with very flawed, uh, useless IQ tests um that 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 just didn't prove anything but they also ignored the fact that even if it turns out that let's let's say the the Japanese are smarter than white protestant americans and that's why they do better in school that doesn't prove anything about human worth hmm. it's irrelevant to human worth or who deserves help or who doesn't deserve Help. So anytime anybody is making these distinctions of normalcy, they almost always have in mind doing something to somebody else that somebody else doesn't want done to them. And that has happened in psychiatry. I mean, all these diagnoses are about doing something to people. And, And nowadays, it's almost always doing something in the bidding of the pharmaceutical industry mm. and and its and its medical representatives um and that's particularly horrific in my mind when it gets to the children where you you diagnose children with ADHD attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and the whole history that's very clear it was simply drug companies buying psychologists psychiatrists to push these concepts in order to sell more product to the children, more 
to their parents, more drugs. And I've tracked this history in books, and other people now have come along and tracked this history in books. There's, there's, no, there's no doubt about it. The government, the Department of Education, National Institute of Mental Health, all under the influence of the pharmaceutical industry, are diagnosing, pushing the diagnosing of children so that this psychopharmaceutical complex, what I call a psychopharmaceutical complex, I describe it in toxic psychiatry, so that it, it, it has something it can do to children to, to make money. And I, as, as callous, I mean, as cynical as this may seem, I mean, one could lecture on this for months and not produce all the information about how we know this goes goes about happening. Mm. So that was a loaded and important question. Is the caller still on the line? Uh, they can always come back. Um, um, <clears throat> to our engineer, if that caller is still on the line, please put them through so uh, there's yes, a dialogue. Yes, yes. Okay. Okay. Well, right, thank right. That's, that was me. Thank, thank you for answering the question. Yeah, what's your idea about it? Because obviously you've been thinking to ask that question. Well, well thank you very much, Doctor. Um, well, my concept is is quite like yours, that he who pays the band calls the tune, and yep. whoever it is that makes the uh, diagnostical and statistical manual, <clears throat> it it's more political than it is medical, in my view. Well, I, I, and, I agree with you. And the politics behind it, it, it again, I think the politics behind it, as you said, Dr. Mm. Bregan, uh, race, racially motivated and, and uh, motivated by class. Because um, I heard that in Africa, people of all uh, classes, of all sexual uh Sexes, they everyone danced, and by the fact that everyone got a chance to dance, the old people danced, the young people would dance, the women would dance, the men would dance, and by the fact that everybody in society had their own dance, the dance that they did, they didn't have to do it well, but they just did it. The music would play, and the people would dance, and everybody <clears> felt <throat> a part of the society that there was no mental illness or very little mental illness because everybody had. A dance to do, and that's the way I, I see it. Well, there's there's no doubt that social relationships in the so-called uh, third world countries, whatever we want to call them, um, that the social relationships make for healthier living. And there was a study by the World Health Organization that looked at a number of countries. I think India was included. Some African countries were included to see what happened to people diagnosed with schizophrenia. And they thought they were going to show how poorly people did. I think they were calling them the underdeveloped countries. How poorly people were doing in those countries who had schizophrenia compared to people in, uh, you know, London or New York. Well, it turned out the opposite. And when they evaluated it, they found out that there were two reasons people did better in the underdeveloped countries. One was they weren't getting psychiatric drugs, and if they did get them, they rarely took them, and they only took them for short periods of time. And secondly, they had social networks. They had extended families. Hmm. And essentially when I'm dealing with somebody who is who is that disturbed, 
I try to be a facilitator to help them come back into the human family. Mm-hmm. I want to say one thing about the the origins versus what's going on now. I think you look back at the origins, and a lot of the origins of the concepts of normality did surround race and class. But now <clears throat> they are being used simply to create any kind of market that can be created. So we have a whole class now of children to whom drugs are marketed, psychiatric drugs. Then we have a class of people called the elderly to whom psychiatric drugs are marketed. Mm. And then women. Women constitute a really targeted market for psychiatric drugs. So it's become much broader. And I don't think the main motivations in in the United States today, or maybe even worldwide, I'm not sure, but I don't think the main motivations now are race, and I don't think the main motivations are uh, class. I think the main motivations are marketing, finding mm. markets. Mm. Okay, Dr. Peter Bregan, we're going to take a break before we conclude. <clears throat> and we're going to have a break. And when we come back, I want you to talk about briefly uh, your observations of road rage as it relates to male and female, and whatever experience you may have had with someone from another culture, and I would call it a so-called third world culture, who was diagnosed with a, quote, mental problem, and it was learned afterwards, after either you're reading about this kind of situation or engaged in the therapy yourself, that after they return to their cultural habits, their original cultural habits, as opposed to the Western piece, that they became normal. So uh, those are two questions, situations I'd like for you to address. We'll be back, ladies and gentlemen, on the Keys 107 Network. I'm Brother Leroy, Respectful Life. Our guest online is Dr. Peter Bragan, and uh, after that break, we'll conclude with our interview with him and then go into a very, very interesting observation about pensions and what government pensions are affected by some moves that are being made now. That's in the second half of our program. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. The key, unlocking the doors to unlimited possibilities. This portion of the key was brought to us by Moon107.com. Moon107, fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Moon107 is an online retail store featuring women's and men's clothing and a gift shop. The woman's shop features stylish tunics, suits and accessories and offers the well-dressed woman an outlet to find the perfect gift for self or for someone else. The men's shop offers classy French cuffed shirts for the well-dressed man. The gift shop offers organic skin, hair, bath accessories, and inspirational music imported from Africa, India, and Asia, as well as jewelry and accessories. Moon 107, fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Don't forget to visit moon107.com. This portion of the keys was 
brought to us by Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC. Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC is on the cutting edge of emerging technologies for designing online classes and providing face-to-face and virtual technology training or help with computer programs, web design, and graphic arts. We also provide biography writing services for websites. For more information, give us a call at 631-399-0149. That's 631-399-0149. Just the life for what you got. The keys on Blog Talk Radio. If you don't have the keys on your Blog Talk Radio, then your Blog Talk Radio isn't really on. Ah, cats. Jump back and dust off your Cadillac. You're listening to Respect for Life with your host, Brother Leroy, on the Keys Network. Blog Talk Radio, baby. Act like you already knew. Ow! Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we are back and we are thankful that you have joined us this evening on Blog Talk Radio, the Keys 107 Network. Once again, our guest online is Dr. Peter Bragan, and you have the opportunity of asking uh, one more question. I have two on the line myself, two questions. The telephone number here is 213-943-3618-213-943. Four three three six one eight. Doc, um, questions I put to you: road rage, um, looking at male, female, and also uh, someone who has stepped outside of their culture, adopted Western ways, and been designated with mental problems. And the therapy, the best therapy, may have been getting them back into their cultural habits, which they drop coming into the Western environment. So, um, road rage. Well, first of all, <clears throat> there is a very important drug connection. It's actually a new scientific study out showing that um, people on antidepressants have a greatly increased accident rate, which I think is partly due to road rage. And one of the common things I see in people on, on stimulant drugs and as well as antidepressants, and I'm sure people using amphetamines and cocaine, anything that gets you jacked up is road rage. Now, leaving the drugs out, what brings about road rage in people? And, you know, I I think it's a combination of things. One aspect of it is taking the world too personally. One of the great cores of sanity is not to take the world personally. Now, I do, as you know, a lot of work in the world. I do a lot of work. I've I've done a lot of of reform work in in many areas, including um, in the um, inner city over the years, protecting kids from psychiatric drugs and the government. Um, So I believe in doing things in the world, but when a stranger cuts you off, 
on the road or flips you the bird or whatever, it's really important to know that person has nothing to do with you and not to take it personally. And this is a challenge not just in driving, but in every aspect of our lives. We're going to function better. I get attacked all the time for what I do. I'm under an attack right now. I don't want to mention it to you, but one's going on right now. Um, mm-hmm. And I have to really work not to take it personally so I don't end up angry, I don't end up uh, frustrated, I don't end up with road rage or being irritable with my wonderful wife, uh, Ginger. Mm-hmm. So the key to not having road rage is is to really take a deep breath and not take personally the craziness around you, the upset around you that leads people, for example, to drive aggressively or badly. Another connection to road rage is um, is humiliation. Um, a lot of aggression, a lot of anger, from school shootings to road rage to just getting mad at our wives or children or husbands, is about when we feel humiliated. So we feel humiliated that somebody gets away with cutting us off on the road. So look out carefully. Try not to take this world personally. Give it all you can, but try not to take other people so personally. And, and try not to act on humiliation, on feeling put down by other people, because it makes you crazy, makes you do things you don't want to do. All right, excellent. And uh, any experience at all with folks? No, I can't answer your next question in the way you put it. This is one of the few questions I've been asked that I I really don't have experience with, because I've never worked in other countries to see people coming back in that way. Um, Mm -hmm. nor would in my practice would I very often see people who were here um, primarily from other countries um, who were going to be returning. Now, I have some, and I could tell interesting stories about that, but that would also be hard to talk about because they're such unique stories. But what I have seen, which is a part of what you're talking about, is people who leave America, students usually, who leave America and go to a new culture and either they can't handle it and they actually lose it and become psychotic. They get feeling isolated. They can't relate. They don't have the language. But I've also seen the opposite where a young person finds himself so welcome and so engrossed in a new culture that they don't want to leave it, and then when they come back home, they go through feelings of desperation in their own community and family because they have found new meaning doing what they were doing in another culture. So culture plays a huge role, no doubt about that. But um, I don't. Maybe when I hang up, I'll think of three instances, but. Right now, I can't think of any where I've been able to track anybody back. I've also seen harm from other cultures. You know, I've seen, uh, I had, uh, you know, Arab woman in my practice who'd been, you know, generally mutilated. Um, Boy, and you see the harm. You see the fearfulness and the temerity and and the sense of loss. So, you know, our cultures impact on us hugely. Now, Concluding on solutions, you know, I'd asked you and you, you're going to deal with some of those uh, tomorrow on your own program on Progressive Radio Network. That's uh, 
ProgressiveRadioNetwork.org, is that it? Yeah, or PRN.FM, just Progressive Radio Network. Might be .com. You'll get it if you just put in Progressive Radio. Oh, or, right, Progressive Radio Network. Or PRN.FM. You can also get it off my website, Bregan.com, B-R-E-G-G-I-N.com, and it's at 4 o'clock on Wednesdays. Um, and I usually interview somebody on the cutting edge of the kinds of interests I have in psychology and mental health and so on. And the expert tomorrow is going to be really a woman who gives marvelous workshops on um, family life and child rearing. Mm. And um, give us three points <laughs> regarding your book, Psychiatric Drug Withdrawal, as to the value of it to our audience. Well, first half of it will give you reasons why you shouldn't stay on psychiatric drugs for months or years. And the second part will give you the kind of instructions that you can take with your book to your therapist or to your prescriber or to your family member and say, read this, join with me, help me come off the medication. So the book, it's a handbook that you can use to build a team from your prescriber, your family, your therapist. Another book, that, though, that's really in the moment right now is Medication Madness, which we've probably talked about before. But my book, Medication Madness, is um, about uh, the con- is about people who commit school shootings and other kinds of shootings and other kinds of mayhem and murder and how it's often related to psychiatric drugs. And that's Medication Madness. And it's very appropriate to what's going on right now. Because we don't know, but this young man <clears throat> from the Newtown shootings was involved with psychiatry, was diagnosed. There's at least one report that he was on medication. And the fact they, that today they announced they haven't found any meds in his house does not um, does not uh, mean that he wasn't on them. Well, a lot of that stuff, a lot of that story... Uh, there are a lot of questions regarding that, <clears throat> the whole first reports that came out on that story. There was a, there was a dead person in Hoboken yeah, right. that was supposed to have been his father. Yeah. Yeah. That person has disappeared. We yeah. don't hear anything about that person, not, unless you picked up something on him. And um, there's, there's, you know, there's, now you see it, now you don't. Um, it, it, yeah. I think a lot of that is fog of war. I think a lot of that is just the chaos surrounding things. And the media just grabs anything they hear and and reports it, unless it's to the disadvantage of the drug companies, in which case they won't report it at all. But but they report all kinds of random stuff. I don't know that that's an organized or uh, thing. I, I... Having followed that story pretty intensively, I think it was just a lot of uh, going with with very small uh, indicators. Yeah. That well, his father is alive, by the way. His father is alive, right. His father that's is that. alive. His brother is alive. They were apparently had nothing to do with this. I think that's probably true. This is a typical lone bad actor kind of affair. It's almost always either a loner or a loner and a follower. How do people get your book? Psychiatric Drug Withdrawal, Medication Madness. 
You can get them on Amazon.com very easily, and you can get them on um, Bregan.com. Okay. Thanks for having me on. It's always interesting to talk to you. Well, I thank you for agreeing to this interview. It's informative, and our audience has had a good class session, and may God continue to bless you and your family. We look forward to speaking with you again in the very near future. Thank you, and God bless you and your family and all your listeners. Good night now. Good night. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back with another guest, and this is going to be a change of pace. We're going to deal with money, the money of the public, millions of people in America, and their pensions as it relates to government pensions and maybe other pensions. What's happening that we don't know about? that we should know about. We'll be back after these messages. You're listening to The Keys on Blog Talk Radio. This portion of The Keys was brought to us by Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC. Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC, is on the cutting edge of emerging technologies for designing online classes and providing face-to-face and virtual technology training or help with computer programs, web design, and graphic arts. We also provide biography writing services for websites. For more information, give us a call at 631-399-0149. That's 631-399-0149.
act like you already knew. Ow. All right, ladies and gentlemen, once again, this is Respect for Life. I'm Brother Leroy. We're coming to you through the Keys 107 Network, housed on blogtalkradio.com. We're waiting for our guest to connect with us. We'll give her a few minutes. Her name is Reverend Shirley Moore. And once again, our telephone number here is 213-943-3618. 213-943-3618, and the subject matter is going to be LIBOR, LIBOR. Now, I've been seeing this on the Internet, and I'd advise all of us to Google it so we can find out exactly what what is LIBOR, what is this. So in a pre-conversation or pre-interview conversation that I had with Ms. Shirley Moore earlier today, she began to break down these things. I said, what? How did I miss that? How come I'm not hearing about this on radio in, in, or, or TV and, and it's not in the news? It's there, but not to the degree where it gives the impact and the import of the subject matter. And this is something that can impact on multiple millions of people's pensions, government pensions in various municipalities and states throughout the U.S. And um, we have to see and and begin to investigate it. Now, if she doesn't call in, our program will end earlier. But in the meantime, there are those of you in the audience who have observed various news items that we can freely discuss now that you feel, um, you know, iron sharpens iron so we can bounce some things off of one another. I don't like to do radio what you think, so I don't put out anything like what you think about this, what you think about that. I feel that the audience that we have and that we tend to draw to this program and other programs on the Keys 107 Network have seen various things in the community that they live in or in the in the uh, total uh, international picture, it could be stateside or international, that has escaped analysis in the general media and it was a story for a day and then disappeared. So anything like that, you feel free to call in. It can be um, any subject matter, you know, decency, and we'll discuss and bounce it off one another. I will tell you this. story that broke last week that is very, very, very important to the black community, in light of the thousands upon thousands of black men and women in prison in America on drug charges, 25 years for uh, uh, a minimum amount of uh, crack and cocaine, uh, you know, that's that's a whole different scale. But crack cocaine and 
marijuana here in New York is stop and frisk. Oh, your 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 people are very dangerous, and uh, guys are taking plea bargains. They don't even understand what's going on. They're so smart. They're dumb. And I look at my young people, and they're so smart, they are dumb. They don't really understand the trap that has been laid for them to put them on a fast track into the prison system, which begins with the very school systems that we've been discussing, the Ritalin, the special ed, uh, the non-education of black children in these schools, and they eventually dropping out, thinking that they're getting off easy because they don't have any homework, but the system is intentionally not educating them, and they're falling for it, and you can't tell them any different, and you still can't tell them any different until they have some kind of epiphany, some kind of wake-up call, uh, if they are fortunate to have one later on in life, and not too late, hopefully. But here's the big story that happened last week. You can, many of you, of you can recall hearing about a deal cut by a bank, HSBC Bank. The charges that the Attorney General's Office, the Justice Department of the United States, along with New York State Attorney General, was money laundering. Money laundering into the billions of dollars. HSBC paid off, that's what you would call it, paid off the parties who were about to prosecute them for the charges of money laundering. They paid them off with $1.9 billion. $1.9 billion dollars Nobody goes to jail, money laundering. Oh, that's innocent. Well, they were doing money laundering for some of the biggest cartels south of south of Texas, south of south of Chicago. Some of the big go back into Google and look at this. Why is this important? Because here you have individuals who are benefiting from the drug trade at the highest level into the billions of dollars, into the billions of dollars, and our people are being attacked with a population control mechanism called incarceration. Incarceration in jail. Members of people's families, members of people's community members of people's church and mosques and so on, people who think they can get away with making some fast money in all the major areas within the urban areas has uh, cameras, surveillance cameras and microphones. So the deal you cut may be you cutting your own throat because you're running the deal on the corner and they can hear and they can see it. And if you're out there in the country, they got satellites that beam right on down on the paper you're writing on. You can tell what candy wrapper you got. I mean, that's you see this in the movies, and it's not okay. Good, a good movie to see is uh, is Born Legacy. 
and there's a chase where they're trying to track these people down who have escaped their net, and they're tracking them down in order to kill them. And they have all these resources, all these TV screens, and they're looking at not just pictures of surveillance, they're also looking at satellite. It's not a movie, it's for real. So what I'm saying is that the $1.9 billion may appear to show hypocrisy in terms of the scales of justice on a huge level. And the article that I saw in the New York Daily News said $1.9 billion uh, payoff, but it didn't say anything about the amount of billions that this company, that this bank, had flowing through their money laundering operation. So that was a big story, and it is a big story, and it's something that should be talked about within our communities, and we should not allow ourselves to uh, put no value on it or little value on it as the media has done. Reported now, there's an article in Rolling Stone, Rolling Stone magazine online. Matt Taibbi, Taibbi, Matt Taibbi, has written an article on it, and I haven't. I tried to access it. I, I wasn't able to do that, but some of you may have the good fortune of doing that. So it's Rolling Stone magazine. Uh, dot com, RollingStone dot com, and the article is by Matt Taibbi. And uh, he does a definitive on that situation. So um, that's it. For our engineer, have we uh, gotten anything from our No, sir. Our sister hasn't called in at this time, but Okay, well, uh, if there are folks on the line who would like to engage in the conversation and uh, trade some insights and whatnot, give you uh, five minutes to do that. Otherwise, we'll end our program early today and uh, apologize to you for, well, there's nothing to apologize for. We, you know, uh, we're dealing with information. If people don't come through, they don't come through. And uh, in the final call newspaper last week, last week there is the audit. I'm always going according to the headline. And the headline is One Nation. One Nation. Uh, that's the headline of the final call uh, last week. Last week, I'm sorry. The new edition comes out tonight, tomorrow in New York. So we're talking about two issues ago. Can the Caribbean Survive is last week's issue. It's the issue before that. And it had an article... And it, Gabrielle Douglas, she's the gymnast. And it's in the second half of the paper. I'm not looking at it, but it's in the second half of the paper. It's a very good article for you and your children and your family to read together. Reading together, as I have done it with my children and my grandchildren, I'll read a paragraph or two, and now I'll let them read a paragraph or two. Then I'll go back and read a paragraph or two, 
and let them read a paragraph or two. Say this gets them out of this thing about boring and stuff like that. And that can really be a test on the adult. When a child tells you something is boring, the only alternative is to um, for them to uh, play a video game, etc. So that's a very good on Gabrielle Douglas, a very good one in that particular issue. Also in that same issue is uh, is uh, to live dealing with port containing the worm that's contained. The reason we bring this up is that a lot of folks look upon the Muslims not eating pork as a religious factor. It is not religion. It is not religion. The thing is just one big worm with four legs. It is one big worm. And people get sick from it. You you can become immune to this sickness because you've been eating it. But if you stay off pig for three weeks to six weeks to nine weeks and you go back and eat that bad boy, you will get sick. You've been sick all along, but you will get sick. I was selling the Muhammad's Feast newspaper years ago, and uh, I I was telling the woman, don't, don't, don't give pork to a little baby. I was going door to door. She said, well, every time I give her pork, she... She throws up. I said, "Well, that's telling you don't don't give her no pork." This little child. Okay, Mister. So, <clears throat> pork eating gets us sick. Pork eating gets us sick. So that article was a very good article two issues ago in the Final Call newspaper, and the uh, issues dealing with Lincoln. And the issue following the Lincoln, the Lincoln was on the cover, it deals with a review of the Lincoln movie. These are very valuable, very, very good articles. And in the issue that just ran, that that's uh, uh, the one that's on the stand now that's going up there, it's about <clears throat> the Caribbean surviving. Look for an article in there on population control. It's a very interesting angle. Very interesting because it says is homosexuality a population control method against black people. Now, the opinion of the writer is his and makes it very interesting writing because we haven't seen that kind of uh, thought and it's worth uh, getting the paper. And if uh, you agree with the individual, you can send him an email. If you don't, Send them an email also. Uh, Brother Engineer, do we have our guest or a caller on the line? Uh, Brother Leroy, we have a caller on the line, area code 347349. I'm not going to give the last of your phone number. No problem. Call us on the right on the air with Brother Leroy and Respect for Life. Uh, Yes. Uh, Good evening, Brother Leroy. Good evening, my sister. God bless you. Oh, yes. God bless you, Leroy. Um, Yeah, I had a comment to make about what you said about the pork. Um, uh, I was was told by an elder one time that uh, the reason why people think that the not eating pork is related to religion is because uh, centuries ago, when it was uh, 
it was a known fact by by people who had um the um the experience of knowing that the pig um had a a very deadly harmful uh worm species that lived in it um that the way in which you could get this known to the people so that people could stop eating the pork was that they they went to the the the, the men of the community that were in the houses of worship because those men, uh, the people listened to. Right. They 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 respected their authority in the community, whether they were a rabbi, uh, imam, uh, and even even like the Christian ministers. Um, so that that's how people connected it to religion. Right. Okay. You understand? And it was a good reason. It was a good reason yeah, yeah. For, for those wise yeah. men to take that information to those people. Yeah, exactly. That's what they did. So, like you said, it doesn't have anything to do with religion, but the the, wor- the houses of worship were used back in those communities to really disseminate the information because we have to we have to think back in history. There was no TV. There was video. You see. <laughs> you know these these kinds of these kinds of methods of communication didn't exist, so everything was really orally shared in the community. So, like I said, in order to really get the message to the most people, you know, the rabbi or the minister or the preacher or the imam would say it on those days where the the masses of people would come right. to hear what the right. the message was. Right. And right. and I tell people this. I tell this about the elders too. The elders knew that even in the event that there were groups of people who insisted on still eating the pig, they knew that every season they had to take a dewormer. They had mm. to, they knew the knowledge they knew the knowledge of the plant. So they would on a on a consistent basis, clean the body consistently and gradually at every four-month period. And the mm. two tonics, they would give everybody, uh, it would be a grandmother, an aunt, an uncle, there was somebody in the family, in the community. Everybody had somebody in the family that knew the bush, the root, the tea, you know, depending on where where your people come from, the Caribbean, whether it was the South, you know, they call herbs, bush, tea, you know, roots, all right. these different kinds of words. However, they would give you a classic blood tonic, and they would give you a classic herb that would uh, deworm you every four months. They did that because they understood. They, uh, they The elders understood. They understood. Mm-hmm. Well, tell, you see, tell and that's something. Paula, yeah. what is the yeah. difference between a blood tonic and a cleanser? Okay, now the blood. The reason why they gave you the blood tonic is because every 120 days, the whole bloodstream is rebuilt. It rebuilds itself. That's how. That's how God created us. That's not. Doesn't have anything to do with man, woman, or child. That is. That is of the design by our Creator. Every 120 days, the entire bloodstream reveals itself, meaning red blood cells, white blood cells, and uh, platelets, uh, um, 
every component of the blood is is regenerated every 120 days. And that's important is because um, and and then you have something called your lymph, your lymph fluid that also works in cooperation or synergistically with your bloodstream. And those those are the two liquids in the body or fluids in the body that really work to um, get rid of invaders like worms, parasites, fungus, yeast, mold. All of these things can live inside of us and use us as a host, meaning they get inside and they, they are created by our creator also, and they have a drive and, and, uh, and, and they are thriving to, to live as we are as, as humans. So they're going to use our in, internal world if we don't do what we need to to get them out in time by drinking the right kinds of water, doing the right kinds of exercises, eating the right kinds of foods to get them out with our daily innate system of cleanse and detox, then they're going to stay inside of us and live their whole life cycle in us. And they will they will eat, they will defecate, they will urinate, they will procreate, they will they will procreate, they will the, the females will lay 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 larvae, the eggs will hatch, and then they will eat off of us our internal world, mm. and they will die. Mm. So this is this is why this is why we have strange behavior, Leroy, because. We have people walking around with trillions of, of 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 worms inside of them from the poor, trillions of parasites. And, the, and one thing about these these creatures, they these creatures have personalities. And what one wait 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 wait, wait 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 run that one. What makes I you said, say that? What is what are the indicators? Okay, okay, I'm going to give you an example. There are parasites that their nature is that they are a vampire. And, and, the, and, the, and the, best, the best analogy I like to give people is our creator has created uh, a species called bats. Now, the nature of a bat is that it sucks the blood of animals because that blood of the animal winds up being one of the sub, sub, sustenance it needs in order to die. There, there are there are smaller creatures that the Creator has created that are that are we call parasites that have that same nature. Got it. You get what I'm? Do you? Okay. So, people who have these parasites using them as a host, populating themselves in the trillions wind up taking on the quality of the parasite. So you have people who act like vampires, hence hence Hollywood glorifying the parasite with the movie Dracula. Mm. Because there and is Twilight, in that. Twilight and, and all that other kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, Twilight. That's why these things that's why these things are popular because they are actually true. But Hollywood dramatizes it and likes to put a little fantasy and play in there. But I'm gonna I'm gonna end with one more example. There was a there's an article I want to send you called the ten most deadliest parasites. I have sent it out to several people that I know, 
And there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a show that comes on the, the Discovery Channel called The Monster Inside of Me, where they, they it comes on, they, there is a show that comes on the Discovery Channel called The Monsters in Me. They, it is a, it is a, it is a, a um, one of those shows that is a real account of people who were infested with parasites and they take them to the hospital because you know, drastically change in their behavior and they really get sick. And the doctors, over a period of time, with Martin, with the Martin technology, find a parasite that is the cause, and then they remove the parasite, and then the person returns to normalcy again. Whoa. It's called the monsters inside of me. But Wait I'm going to end monsters, with this. The monsters inside of me. Inside, inside of, of me. you. Why you? Yeah, it comes on the delivery channel, the, the Discovery Channel on cable. Wow. Yeah. And I'm going to end with this. I'm also going to send you that article, the de- the ten most deadliest parasites. One of the parasites that's in this one of the parasites that's in this article describes the parasite that the the the, the, the people in Hollywood that wrote the the movie The Alien. Yeah. They use they use nature they use this parasite's nature to create that scene where one of the men who are up in space with Sigourney Weaver and all the crew, he he he's on the operating table and then all of a sudden this thing starts moving around in him and then it bursts out of his body and it starts scurrying around. Right. That 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 they got that concept from a real life parasite that lives in people. Down in the down in South America or some exotic environment. Yes, because a lot of the people on the um, the Discovery Channel program, a monster in me. When they did the research, they found out that these people had traveled to some tropical place and they had gotten into a lake or something that, that like that to swim. Man. And that's where the parasite that's where the parasite got in because parasites can can enter your body through the pores of your skin. They can get in through any hole. So, what what I what I what I what I what, what you know, I tell these stories to people and I give them these these sources of information because People really do get it when they see a show on cable and, and they see the factual science. They see it visually. They then they know you're telling the truth. And I to remind people of the past. I said, now we we can all remember, even some of us when we were children, because they were some of our parents, grandparents were still doing it, where they gave us these tonics to clean us out every every season. And some people, if they came from the Caribbean or the South, parents, the mother gave them something every day. Mm. Gave them a tonic, a tonic every day because they understood the importance of keeping the blood clean. So I just said all of that to say that you know there's a lot of talk. People have a lot of anticipation for for the coming of the 21st of December. And what I want to tell people is this: I said. The 21st of December is the winter solstice, the day when people got themselves 
cleaned out, and they got they got a tonic to boost the blood and to really strengthen your foundation for the oncoming winter. Because depending on where you are, if you're living in the temperate region and the weather gets cold, people eat differently than they did in the summertime. They tend to eat a lot more starches, a lot more animal flesh, and that's where you're going to be susceptible to getting these kinds of uh, uh, organisms coming inside, and if you're not getting them out fast enough, they're going to use you as a host. And because the feasting holidays, which start with Thanksgiving, then there's going to be Christmas, then there's going to be New Year's, people feast and they get gluttonous. That's why you get people all throughout the winter sick, full of mucus, you know, uh, you know, all kinds of flus. And then they become even even sicker than that because they want emergency and then they wind up getting a pharmaceutical drug that the body's gonna have an adverse effect to that too, because a lot of those those pharmaceutical drugs are poison based senses. So, you know well, I just wanted to wait a minute. <laughs> I just, just wanted to up. say your I just picked up on your voice, and if I'm correct, you're Annette the healer. Oh, I'm Annette the, the traditional uh, neighborhood community herbalist. <laughs> well, well, you have you have just dropped a a heavy load of tonic on us, and and um, because I'm brother looking Lee, at our, brother Lee, you know what, Brother yep. Leroy, you know why you know why I didn't really compel because I was I got that newspaper that you're talking about from you on 125th Street in the subway. Right. I bought that newspaper and I read that article about those worms. I know yes. I I know the article. I read the, I saw the article about the movie Lincoln newspaper. Let me tell wow. you something. Our people our people are going to be in. In 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 um they're gonna be relatives from 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 Christmas Day all the way to New Year's Day in 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 homes with family and friends and even some enemies and and that that ham is gonna be on the table. Them mm. ham hops mm. is gonna be in the green. Mm. I'm telling so let you. Let me tell the audience. Let me tell the audience this and that. Let me tell the audience this, that um, this sister online is one of the most effective healers in the city at this particular time. She was an assistant to Dr. Sabi, and she can tell you some real-life stories. Uh, I'm going to ask you uh, some questions, then you're going to give the people your telephone number, and we're going to have you back on the show so that we can really interview you. But in the meantime, I'm going to ask you this. Have you seen, in your experience, people with sickle cell put that bad boy into remission with natural herbs? Yes. Yes, I have. What I... What I what I what I like what I remind people about is this. I said, listen. I usually when a 
an individual is sitting in front of me that has been diagnosed with sickle cell, they have they have been years uh, dealing with uh, allopathic physician. You know, that's the that's the standard. You know, orthodox chemical uh, doctor. Yeah. 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 So so by the time they get by the time they get to me, they have undergone um, a very very tox, toxic uh, treatment for the sickle cell. So when I sit down and I talk to them and I and I and I break it down in its simplicity, they look at me like I'm crazy because they say exactly. if the they say if if the cure or if the remedy for me to not have sickle cell is that simple, how come the doctors don't know that? <laughs> you, you see, so they 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 so they 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 are per, they are perplexed. You see, but what I what I start off is with is with this. I said it is going to be your own body that heals you of sickle cell anemia. It's going to be your own body. Because what we have got away from uh, from understanding is that your body is built with its own ability to heal. That is that would be designed by your God, whomever, whatever name you call your God, Allah, you know, uh, Jehovah, Yahweh, Boo. I mean. Whatever the word is that you you call God, that he he God is the original architect of the body. So the body is built with a healing mechanism. It's innate within the body, but the body cannot be constantly uh, fed poison, and then you expect its innate ability to heal, to be able to get all that poison out, plus repair a, a sickle cell so that it now can regenerate as a normal cell, red cell. Well, you can't do that right if you're there. bombarding it. Uh, you, can't that, do, you can't, you can't, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just asking you for brief responses, but that response is good because it does mm-hmm. speak to the fact that um, at one point in time I called while I was dealing with Dr. Sadie and I'd seen mm-hmm. the patient, that young sister who oh. had sickle cell and Emma wanted White. to do a hysterectomy. What was her name? Emma White. No, not the, no there's, uh, that was the sister in Connecticut, I think. I'm talking oh. about the young okay. girl who subsequently oh. had a baby and she moved to Texas. Oh yeah, yeah, I know who you're talking about. I remember her too. Yes, I know you And she, she was another She was about yeah, yeah. she was about to have a hysterectomy. But yes. the the her blood count was so low they couldn't yes. operate. And yes. that's the one that was given the compounds inside the hospital, she got better and they they said, Well we can do the hysterectomy now and and the heart took yes. her out of there. The little girl yes. subsequently had a baby. That's true. Yes, you're absolutely yeah. right. And she was she was also she was also doing so well that she got happy and the family got happy. And then one day, I think it was the grandmother cooked her some kind of meat. It might have been a pork chop, and she ate it. And she was, I mean, they had to bring her to, to Brooklyn, and she was laying there on the floor crying and everything. 
Baby had to go in the kitchen and make, you know what, some, he made a, a tonic for her in the kitchen and gave it to her so that she could, like, come out of that uh, that pain that she was in. And then he said, I know you ate something, and, she, and, and at first she wouldn't tell us. And then then she said, well, yeah, you know, I ate a, I ate a pork chop. Right. And she, yeah. she said that on camera. I interviewed her. I'm just saying this for okay. the audience. Uh, this sister is uh, the one online, Sister Annette. Um, this is uh, totally un- unplanned by me, but I call it a godsend because the guest that I had scheduled, um, I told her a time, and I may I may have been off in mm-hmm. explaining. You know, she's on the West Coast. So we may have gotten our times mm-hmm. yeah. and stuff from there because she was very interested right. and anxious to get her story out. So we may have right. her coming up this coming Saturday. But in that, uh, one mm-hmm. last thing in terms of the females in mm-hmm. the audience, uh, mm-hmm. you have seen women who have had fibroids and mm-hmm. they have gotten rid of them with no surgery and no chemicals. Yes, they They've even they've even brought us the fibroid when the body released it in a jar. Right. Which I saw looked like a that was an amazing yeah. thing. So these are like these are some of the things, uh, ladies and gentlemen. This sister I'll have her back online so that you can have an hour with her and uh we'll be doing that very soon after I find out what her schedule is. But we're going to conclude respectful life. I wanna thank you, Annette, for listening and calling in, okay, and I will be in connection you, with you very soon. Uh, what is your, yeah. what is your this, number for the audience, uh, oh, folks out there who want to reach out to you? Yeah, yeah I, have a, I have a Skype phone number. It's 347-349-5410. And I just ask the community, let's really, I mean, you know, people are all into this is the season of giving. Let's just really, like, give people some information tonight, the archive. Tell 10 people to download this, this, pro, this, this program tonight. 10 people you know, tell them to download this archive and listen to this on Christmas Day. Mm. Mm. Tell them to do that while everybody is in the house and together. Do it, do it on Christmas Day and do it on New Year's and do it on Kwanzaa. This, I mean, this is really what we should be giving, information mm. to save our children and our people. And don't give the kids any pork this Christmas right. Day or Kwanzaa or New Year's. We can start by doing simple things like that. Don't eat no pork on Christmas Day and New Year's Eve and Kwanzaa, and hopefully never again. And that give you a number again, 347. 347. Three four seven three four nine five four one zero, Brother Leroy. Thank you. I, um, I this is my you. first time listening to the to the program, Leroy. Thank you. All right. Uh, did I hear another voice in the background? Okay, I guess I didn't. Um, ladies yeah. and gentlemen, I want to thank you very much for your support of the Keys One Hundred Seven Network. As Sister Annette Thomas said. Uh, advise your friends and relatives to go into the archives of the Keys 107, this date, December 18th, access the show, listen to it, and some of you know how to copy it and do links and send that out 
That's a good deed. Once again, Annette Thomas is number 347-349-5410. We'll be back with you this coming Saturday evening with a lineup of guests, and they will fill out the two hours. And we thank you for your support. And uh, go into the Keys archives, uh, the Keys 107 archives. If you want to start a business, go to the Gregory Jones Show. He comes on Monday mornings at 10. He gives clear advice, clearer than a glass of water, clearer than a glass of alkaline water. Very simple. He does a very good job, and that's opening businesses and dealing with real estate. And he gives the information freely. That's a favorite show of mine, but the Keys 107 has a lineup that can't be beat, ladies and gentlemen. Buy the Final Call newspaper. Get the DVDs of Minister Farrakhan at the various colleges. And come on out to the mosque. Join us at the mosque, wherever you are, in New York, Baltimore, Newark. Doesn't matter. Wherever you're listening, come to Muhammad's Mosque on Sundays at 11 and enjoy the company of conscious minds. God bless you all with a wonderful and a beautiful evening. Peace. The key on Blog Talk Radio. If you don't have the keys on your Blog Talk Radio, then your blog talk radio isn't really on. Board of Directors is proud to present The Final Call. The Final Call is the country's unique leading source for news. Founded by the Honorable Louis Farrakhan, National Representative of the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad in the Nation of Islam, The Final Call follows in the tradition of Muhammad Speaks with hard-hitting national and international news and coverage of political issues. It is the official communications organ of the Nation of Islam. Founded in the 1930s as the final call to Islam, the newspaper evolved into Muhammad Speaks in the 1960s and boasted a circulation of 900,000 a week with monthly circulation of 2.5 million. Today, the final call newspaper serves a readership of diverse economic and educational backgrounds, including circulation in North America, Europe, Africa, and the Caribbean. Read the final call newspaper. Can find one of the beautifully bow tied representatives in your community or read finalcall.com. <laughs>